Hello and welcome to Meet My Potential podcast where we talk to leaders from around the world to inspire you and to ignite your potential. This is your host Deepa Natarajan, that Indian girl from Toulouse in France. Before we get on to this episode on the ingredients of a successful transformation, I want to invite you to watch my masterclass where I talk about why we need to rethink the way we lead. Like Reshma mentions in the show today, we need to get out of our comfort zone and we need to make changes. And I truly believe that there is a methodology. There is a methodology and there is a framework to do that. And I've created a 40-minute masterclass that dives deep into how we can rethink leadership and I discuss some of the frameworks to make sustainable change so that you can be an effective leader. So head over to www.meetmypotential.com slash webinar to watch the free masterclass. So that's www.meetmypotential.com slash webinar. All right. Reshma Ramachandran is the vice president of Hitachi Abebe. And not only that, she is a thought leader, keynote speaker, and most of all, she has a very strong operational experience in digital transformation. She grew up in rural India without access to reliable power, drinking water, and other basic needs. Her purpose is to empower people to believe that they have power to choose and to enable people to go beyond their self-limiting beliefs. Reshma is an inspiring thought leader she has lived in 13 countries across three continents. Let's welcome Reshma. Hello and welcome to the show, Reshma. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing very well, Deepa. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I've been admiring your podcast for so long. This is really an honor for me to be here talking to you this morning. Well, uh, same here. It's an honor to meet another Indian successful woman and here present in Europe and have you on my show. And today we want to talk a little bit about transformation projects and you have so much experience in running transformation projects. Tell us a little bit, how did you get here? So I have to be honest here, my career was not very well planned as some of you know, the successful people have. I think for me, it was more about making uh, opportunity of every challenge that was thrown at me. And I got into transformation, I would say sometime in 2005, when uh, the, the organization that I was working for, Larson and Tubro, decided to go for a major transformation. And I was uh, handpicked by the CEO's office, we were about 14 of us working on this transformation. And that kind of, you know, clicked for me. I, I realized how much I like change and how much I like convincing people about change. Because, you know, once you get out of your comfort zone, whether it is as a person or as an organization, that's when you truly grow. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> you just nailed it. Like, you know, I like change. Uh, well, all of us do want change, but liking change can be a bit hard because we have to get out of our comfort zone, like you rightly said, and getting out of our comfort zone is a stretch. You know, it ignites all those inner critique voices in our head and, you know, the volume and the intensity of those voices just increase. And it's hard actually. So, I mean, like, what made you like change? 
I think uh, what you said is absolutely right. You know, when we have to get out of our comfort zone, people actually focus on the discomfort part because you are moving out of the comfort zone, right? So w- this is what makes change so hard. And for me, why I like change is I always think about change like that. You know, personally, I have moved in so many countries and this is change, right? So you pick up a new language, mm-hmm. you have to adjust to a new culture, you have to just pack your bags and go. And for me, this has made me realize that, you know, change also helps you leave the baggages you have. And this mm. is true for organizations. So organizations, when we talk about transformation, when we talk about change, this is truly shedding that baggage that an organization has. And if you start focusing on what are the things that you don't like and you can actually leave it behind, change becomes very interesting. Mm. Mm. But there's also some nice things. Like when you use the analogy of like, you know, when I moved countries, I had to leave baggages and pick up and go to a new place. And, you know, the new place had some other nice things and maybe uh, didn't have some some of those things that I enjoyed in the old place. And I think change is a bit like that also. It's like, you know, the old way of working has some comfort and has some beauty in it. But then uh, we have to leave that comfort and that beauty and move on to something else and fish out for nice things in the future. And so we're also leaving behind some of those advantages that came with the old way of working and those old patterns. How was that for you? I think when you say advantages, I think it's mainly because we only know that part, right? So this is what legacy systems in organizations can do. You just know one way of working and you think this is the best way of working and you're comfortable with that. And this is what you're scared of leaving because you never know what's coming, the unknown. And this is also what makes change hard for human beings. So every time you move, and Deepa, you have moved as well, right? So when you move to a new (laughs) country, I think we just don't know what to expect. We know the country that we are living in. And uh, I mean, to be honest, I have to say, you know, moving countries for me has been like every country has something new to offer. So did I leave behind a comfort zone? Absolutely, yes. But did I pick up a new comfort zone? This is also absolutely yes. And some of the comfort zones that you actually pick up later, when you look back, you actually realize, you know, the ones that you left behind were not that great. And you felt it great at that point in time in your life because that's all you knew. (laughs) <laughs> it's so it's so right. Like our mind wants to grapple with what we know and hold on to what we know. And you know, you you put me back in time. I actually came to France with as a single mom with my four year old daughter and two suitcases, one suitcase each, and that's it. Uh, well, today my house is filled with lots of junk, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> How we accumulate stuff. Yeah, and was I young and naive at that time, you know, not speaking French and moving here, and how did I make that change happen? I don't know. Can I do that again? I guess so. I think what was in my mind at that point of time was like, wow, I'm going to help and be in this company that's going through a merger and acquisition. And that's a great job, a great opportunity and a great opportunity to be in Europe. And I love cycling. And I said, okay, this is a great opportunity professionally and personally. And so he was only looking at the bright side without looking at the fact that I'm going to be in a country where I need to adopt to the weather, the language, the culture, etc. So I think it's also a mindset or an attitude in the way of thinking of like, what are you looking forward to? Where are you focusing your attention on? Exactly. And I think this is where the growth mindset comes in, right? So if you actually think that, you know, every experience helps you grow, every experience actually makes you a better person, I think change doesn't become so hard. And for me, I feel right now what I feel is, you know, 20 years of moving around, 20 years of having to experience a lot of things new, 20 years of having to start 
from the scratch several times over and over again i actually enjoy the process and i think it makes me a better person it helps me look at things in a completely different perspective and as you said you know when you moved uh, you left a comfort zone Uh, you didn't know what you were expecting mm. uh, to find in a new country but everything works out right and everything works out because you want to make it work out so then you start focusing on okay what works for me so cycling worked for you so for me i look at every time i have had to make a personal change or an organizational change i actually start looking at okay what are the things that uh, looks attractive what are the things that you know would especially in organizations when you have to actually move a large groups of people so not everybody and we know that you know as human beings we don't mm. like change so there is a lot of resistance to change so how can you make change attractive to people and for different people there are different triggers for some of us it's like just the fun of change this just the thrill of new things for others you know you really need to see what's coming so you show them what's coming and i enjoy that process of uh, helping people see the change is actually not bad it's good and it's something that you can look forward to what's been the biggest difference for you when you're trying to move let's say helping one person to change their way of working in a team versus helping and supporting an entire department or an entire organization to move and shift through a change what's been that difference for you uh, the difference is mainly group behavior so you know it's always easy to convince a single person you have a one on one conversation and uh, let's say the person gets convinced then there is a group behavior and you put 20 of these convinced people in a room i would say 50% fall out <laughs> because then you start you start, the group dynamics comes in right uh-huh. so there are egos and i i think uh, fundamentally we need to understand that we are working even when we talk organizations organizations are not inanimate objects this is organizations a group of people with emotions with egos with you know desires ambitions everything that comes with the human psychology part right uh-huh. so for me what has been uh, different i don't want to necessarily say hard different is you know when you try to move large organizations and i have worked with large organizations lasan and tubro had about 300000 people abb oh, yes. has about <laughs> 140000 people so i think uh, what is important is you don't try to change individuals i mean all of the individuals all by yourself you create change agents and this is a famous uh, bell curve as well you know there's always a 10% of the people who want to make that difference so who are actually the front runner so you try and work on them first because they they they're anyway up for a challenge they're anyway up to listen to what is changing or how they can help the change there is always a last 10% no matter what they don't want to change they want to remain in the i don't even want to call it the comfort zone right uh, i want mm-hmm. to call it like the zone that they have created for themselves Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they they will always remain there no matter what so you don't spend your effort on that it's the 80% then you that you try to change then and that's where you need change agents so mm-hmm. for me i've never believed uh, and as a leader i think it's also very important for me not to believe that you know i'm the single most important person i'm the one who can actually drive all of this i don't believe that i believe that i can trigger change i can trigger a thought process and you know then the doppler effect has to take Uh, place and this is where i think as a person and leaders sometimes i feel forget this as a person you need to really lead the talk so if oh, you yes. uh, and walk the talk right so if <laughs> actions words and actions do not match you especially in a transformation role you quickly lose the trust you quickly lose the credibility 
Absolutely right. I've done many transformation projects in the last 10 years. And many times I've come across people who've hired me and said, Deepa, can you transform my organization? Can you transform my department? Here. It's like, here are the keys. Go do the work. Thank you so much. Let me know time to time how it's going. Doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. The person who mandates the change is the first person who needs to change. And that's where what you just said, you need to walk the talk, right? Very often people think that the change is out there to make, but no, the change starts with them. And if they're not setting the example, the change will not become sustainable. You can have an impact within the group, but then the change is never going to be sustainable in the long run. If the leader who's running the organization does not change, and if the executive team and the top team does not change. Exactly. And I truly believe that. And I think as leaders, you know, fundamental responsibility lies with us that we need to show that we are changing as well. And it's not easy for us. And I think this is something, mm-hmm. you know, the vulnerability part, right? And I, I'm very open about it. All all transformation projects that I've run have ended up in a lot of teary nights. You know, you come home, you cry, you get up the next day and it's not easy. But, you know, this is also important to tell people that change is not easy, but you can do it. And mm. how much you are vulnerable to the team, how much you actually share your own thought process, share your own journey, this gives a lot of credibility to you as a leader. Mm. Beautiful. So what's been, let's say, three of your secret recipes that you have applied? <laughs> I can't say, Deepa, I have secret recipes. It's, uh, <laughs> it's always a learning. Uh, some things work. Uh, you know, there is, this is the difference between theory and practice, right? So exactly. I, I read a lot and, you know, some of these HPR articles that you read and you think, oh my God, this sounds so interesting, but try and execute it, right? So it doesn't necessarily work that way. I would say what, uh, it's not necessarily a silver bullet, but I would say what has consistently worked for me is trust, building trust. So this is like so important for me, especially when I start new jobs, you know, new roles, It's really, really important. And how do you build trust is only by giving trust. So I know a lot of leaders who come into the role and say, okay, now I'm the leader, you know, I'm the manager of this team or the boss of this team. Now everyone needs to trust me. It doesn't work that way. Trust happens by giving the trust. And every time you're in a position of influence, I think it's very important to remember that you need to set that ball rolling. So you start trusting the team. You know, there are a lot of things. I I like to make the change like, you know, immediately. And if you would Mm -hmm. ask, Uh, things that I could have changed uh, 15 years to now, you know, if I could go back 15 years in time, this is also something that I would say that, you know, speed is never at the cost of trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you spend initial time building the trust, building a team. And again, team is not a group of people. Team is a, a group of a set of people who come together and believe in themselves, trust each other. So this is very important as a leader to build a trust. I just want to stop there for a second before you move on to the next point, because you mentioned something very important here. And I want to repeat this for my audience. Speed is never at the cost of trust. This is key because speed is something that we all are looking for. We want all want to change, especially in COVID times. We want our business to be agile. We want to shift and we want to pivot very quickly so that we're present for our customers and we can beat our competitors. So in a space like this where speed is critical, you're absolutely right. When we go with that level of speed and intensity, we leave people behind and that takes away the trust. Exactly. And it's not sustainable. And I think this is also something that, 
probably some organizations uh, forget and, you know, vacancy puts a number at 75%, right, of uh, business transformation failures. And I would say the organizations that fail in uh, business transformation is also the ones that look at transformation just as a project. Like, you know, how you, you, you just mentioned that people call you for transformation and say, here are the keys, let me know when it's finished. There's no finishing <laughs> line. Yeah. There is absolutely no finishing line. I think transformation starts with like, for me, you know, when you say the transformation has ended, it's actually what you mean is whatever you try to change has become the DNA of the organization. Now we move on to something else. <laughs> this is we what we yeah, and Absolutely. I think this is where the sustainability of transformation comes in, or sustainability of change. You know, think about lifestyle changes that we make. You know, there's a lot with COVID. There is a lot of uh, discussion around you know weight gain or weight loss, mm -hmm. and this is a lifestyle change. So you say that you know I, I I starved myself for a week and I lost five kilos. This is not sustainable. This is how some organizations look at as change, saying okay, when it's done, you tell me. No, it's never done. It goes back into the organization of the DNA and that kind of becomes a culture. So transformation typically goes also with the culture of the organization. Fantastic. So number one point that you just mentioned is speed is never at the cost of trust. And the second one, it, it has to become the DNA and it has to be something that is sustainable in the long run. You can go and do a liposuction and come back, but look at yourself after two years, like where, <laughs> like how, uh, yeah, how fit are you? So, you know, it has to become an innate part of you. It has to become your DNA. It has to become your new comfort zone. Exactly. It has to become the culture of the organization. And I think the third part for me, I would say what is really, really important is when we uh, talk about change, you know, transformation is typically associated with change. It can never be at the cost of uh, your employees. We, I know we talk a lot about customers, right? Everything has to be mm -hmm. customer centric, you know, everything has to be outside it. And I truly believe in that. But I also believe that customers are 50%, your employees are the other 50%. So it can never be the, at the cost of the team that you have. So if, and liposuction is actually a good example. I think if you are uh, driving a transformation where there is a lot of uh, change fatigue in the organization, where there is a lot of stress level in the organization because you want to meet these quarterly targets of whatever you want to show to the customer or to the stakeholders, these are not sustainable in the long run. Because people are fatigued and the moment you step out, they go back to the, it's like a spring, uh, mm -hmm. they recoil. They go back to the old ways of working and, and you, if you, if you see the research on transformation, you can actually see that, you know, some organizations actually have posted successful transformation, you know, in the media saying, you know, 18 right. months, everything is transformed. And what happens? Another 18 months, they go file for bankruptcy. <laughs> So never at the cost of employees and employees is what makes the organizations. The organization is composed of all the human beings and how do you take care of that human potential is the success factor. Thank you so much, Vareshma, for uh, throwing a light on those three key points. What has been the hardest thing for you? The hardest thing for me, you know, especially working in global environment, global companies, is actually inclusion. For me personally, I would say, although I consider myself as an extremely self-aware person, I think we all have our biases and, mm -hmm. you know, take it to a larger platform. What do I see when I look at you, right? So for the first time we spoke, I mean, I right. see you as an Indian. I mean, I think, okay, Deepa of and I share, a, <laughs> share the same background. Uh, this is bias. I mean, right. you're completely, you, you, you experiences have shaped you. You grew up in a certain part that I know. 
and we share a certain similar background, but we are completely different from our thought process, completely different in terms of our approach. So if I would look at you as, you know, someone I share a background with, so she's going to think like me, this is the first mistake we do. And this is what uh, we talk a lot about diversity, but I like to talk about inclusion because I think where successful teams are the ones where it's inclusive. So people speak up, people can come with the ideas, you know, there's the, the psychological safety, right? And right. they are actually different, but the differences are, I don't even want to say celebrated, but the differences are accepted. And mm-hmm. these differences, and especially, you know, when I run innovation projects, I can actually tell you this, without inclusion, there is no innovation. Mm-hmm. And for me, the hardest part in global organizations is to really bring out the benefits of diversity. And this comes only with inclusion. So it's me, as I said, and I'm, again, this is my vulnerability part, right? I'm totally honest in accepting that I do have biases and these biases do come in way, my way of decision-making. And it's the same with all the people I work. So how do you actually make people, starting with myself, how do you make everyone aware of the biases and make sure that we, we will never, never get over our biases? but we can always work around. So it's very important that every decision that you make, you challenge your own decision and ask how much of it is bias and how much of it is actually fact-based. This is really tough. This is really tough. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You touched upon a very, very key point, inclusion and what does inclusion really mean? There's an episode, episode number 86, Designing Systems for Inclusion with Susie Lewis. So if you haven't heard that, go have a listen to that. And I think Reshma just summarized exactly what's in that episode. But if you want more details of what you can do to design your systems for inclusion, don't hesitate to go and listen to episode number 86. Thank you so much, Reshma, for sharing your insights here. And before we close this episode, what's one message that you'd like to leave for the audience? I would say the one message, you know, this is also what I completely, truly live by is life is actually what you make of it. So <laughs> a lot of us actually believe we don't have choices. You know, I, I keep hearing this all the time, especially in COVID times, you know, we don't have a choice. I think we all have choices. What we don't like is to accept the consequences of those choices. So I think when you say, I don't have a choice, you know, think about it. You always have a choice, but think about it. You don't want to accept the consequence of that choice. So rather than saying, I don't have a choice, you know, change your narrative to say, do I like the consequences? Can I make myself accept these consequences? And then you will realize the possibility of the number of choices that you have. (laughs) beautiful it's like you've opened a new pandora's box and i want to start interviewing you again right at the end of it (laughs) (laughs) and so can you give an example of uh, of what you just said Uh, you know my life is uh, full of those uh, paradoxes right and i I think you can relate to it so much better Mm -hmm. than anyone else so i grew up in uh, a rural part of india where you know we didn't have power we didn't have reliable power And I think a lot of people just, I I still keep hearing, like, you know, when I go Mm -hmm. back to my little uh, village, I still uh, keep hearing people say, oh, we don't have a choice. We don't have power. We don't have a choice. Right. So Mm -hmm. how do you study? How do you actually uh, make anything out of yourself? Basic needs. And I just say power because, you know, this has been a purpose that has been driving me for the past 20 years. But a lot of those basic needs. And I think for me, I look at it this way. Okay, I I mean, I did have a choice. I did have a choice to, you know, have candlelights. I did have a choice to have these petroleum lamps. I did have a choice to like, you know, push myself harder. I didn't like the consequences. So power was always available early in the morning. So I'm still an early riser. So I used to wake up at 3 a.m. just because I wanted to study. I wanted to actually, you know, go to a good university. So I would wake up at uh, 3 a.m. 
was it hard absolutely you know tell a 10 year old uh, <laughs> to get wake up at 3 a.m right uh, when well, you can tell be... even a 40 year old <laughs> <laughs> exactly right I mean, to, to tell anyone you know wake up you know um, especially when it is like real cozy in the bed uh, early morning I used to wake up every day at three, uh, three in the morning and I used to study up until six because then there used to be power. So I accepted the consequences of it, consequences of my choice. I actually wanted to make something of myself. So mm-hmm. I always say this to people like, you know, if you want to make something out of yourself and it's a, it goes for the organizations as well. You know, I cannot tell you and uh, Deepa, you live in Europe, so you probably mm-hmm. resonate with what I'm going to say next. As a woman of color, you know, there are so many rejections, so many discriminations that you face on a daily basis. Do, do you let that affect your thought process? Do you let that define you? This is a choice you make on a Not daily basis. Not more than three seconds. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm so happy you say that because this 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 is this is exactly what I feel as well that you know if you start letting all of the things that gets thrown at you define you then you are actually yes you are actually saying I don't have a choice. But you know I for me what is fundamentally important is we change that narrative and say I have a choice and I have the strength to face those consequences. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And for the listeners who are listening out there, you have a choice and you have lots of choices. Thank you so much, Reshma, for being here with us. And if you like this episode, don't forget to go to iTunes and give us a little feedback. And if you haven't checked out the latest masterclasses that are happening, just head over to meetmypotential.com and you'll find a link either on the homepage or on the podcast page to sign up for a free masterclass where I talk in depth on how you can actually make changes happen. And especially for high performers, how can high performers make change happen? Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to talking to you again in one week's time. And until then, stay cool.